0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am Cap Weekly Editor-in-Chief Rich Eisen, joined as always by my partner in prime, Tim Foster. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm well, Rich. Thanks. Great. Well, you know, uh, we have yet another special guest. We have a good run of special guests here on the show. And, and we have a, an old friend of the show actually on today. I, most folks around California politics uh, know Mike Madrid quite well from a variety of things. He is a partner in Grassroots Lab. Uh, as much as anything, he is a longtime uh, Republican political consultant here in California and more, more than ever on the national scene as well. Uh, certainly a... Uh, The the person to go to to learn a lot about the Latino vote, uh, the ongoing uh, travails of the Republican Party here in California, and like I say, on the national level. So uh, we're really thrilled to have him today because we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming California GOP convention, uh, among other things. So, Mike Madrid, welcome to the show. Once again, really uh, thrilled to have you here.
2: It's always great to be with Capital Weekly. I mean, I love you guys. love what you've been doing for years, and it's great to have the conversation.
1: Great. Well, As I noted, uh, the the, uh, California Republican uh, Convention is coming up uh, end of next week on the 29th, I think is when it starts. How would you assess the state of the California GOP right now, Mike?
2: Well, I mean, in many ways, it's very similar to kind of what's happening nationally, right? There's this sort of crossroads and this realization from, from, you know, kind of the professional class, people who understand the dynamics uh, and the danger that the party is currently in and what it's facing, and and frankly, what it's metastasized to become. And kind of this influx of newer folks who haven't really been particularly engaged in the party system, voters specifically, and I'm sure a lot more activists. I haven't been at many Republican conventions in the past couple of years. Uh, I'd rather pull out my you know fingernails with tweezers. Uh, but but you know the, the this 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 realization that the party is careening towards a very bad dark place that's politically dangerous um has has really kind of um i think left some of those that can guide it out in this quandary and um you know republicans california republicans um as of late have not demonstrated much um courage much conviction and much much political prudence enable and being able to steer and lead the party out of where it's obviously going it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that this is bad news it's been heading down a bad path for 25 30 years um you know you don't have to be that smart to figure it out but it's increasingly populated by a Republican base that doesn't want to figure it out. The Republican Party is really not trying to be a viable political party anymore in California. It's kind of content being this small, regional, marginalized social movement, and and for the moment, that's what it is, and that's probably what it will be for a very long time.
1: Well, Mike, I know there is some talk from some factions within the party about the party platform. We've mm-hmm. heard talk of maybe dropping the opposition to abortion as an example from the platform maybe some other things what are your thoughts on this because i know that just even the mention of that got some pushback from some of the more you know uh devoutly conservative folks in the party uh, you know is is it reasonable to think that this party will ever address some of those core uh platform beliefs or uh, positions that seem to be in such dire contrast to where most California voters fall on those issues?
2: Well, I mean, the short answer is no. I mean, the Republican Party in California or anywhere else is not going to remove the pro-life position from the party platform. It's not. There's no lane for pro-choice Republicans. Certainly, if there were, it's gone. It's just, it's it's kind of anomalous now. It's like saying I'm a Dodgers and a Giants fan. I mean, the irony
0: here is that, of course, Ronald Reagan was a pro-life Republican at one time.
2: You know, pro-choice.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, pro he was a yeah. pro-choice Republican. I mean, it's like there was a time where there was absolutely a norm. Well,
2: there was there was a time in the Christian evangelical movement where pro-choice was the position of the party. It was until the rise of the Falwells. Uh, in the in the mid early seventies and kind of the Jesus movement that that the the evangelical church the evangelical movement which has consumed and and is really a whole owned subsidiary of the Republican Party now um, moved to the right so so this is all a relatively recent phenomenon but but it is orthodoxy there's no you know when I was when I was younger in the business right there were these fights. Where conservatives and moderates would, you know, fight on these issues. That's where I was. With. Kevin McCarthy was a was a was a brilliant tactician who I worked with all the time. I when I first worked with Kevin McCarthy when he was, you know, a, a senior staff member with Congressman Bill Thomas's office. I mean, most of the fights that we were engaged in back in the mid nineties was trying to stop the pro life kind of crazy right wing Christian wing of the party from from damaging California Republicans' prospects viability by kind of getting more and more extreme on this issue now th- this was the mid-1990s this was 25 30 years ago and and the fights not only have not you know gone away they, they've they've the moderates have lost the pro-choice wing has lost even the rational pro-lifers that know the position is not politically expedient or saleable have lost they're gone. So you know, I don't know who was floating the idea of taking out the uh, the platform, but that that will never happen. It is a central tenet of republicanism, and even if it were to happen, the branding on the party is so badly damaged as a result of this, so incredibly damaged that it's probably going to cost. Um, the the House Republicans their majority and it will be a very severely limiting factor in the ability to take the Senate, which really should be a Republican slam dunk at this point, and it's going to hurt Donald Trump's chances of winning uh, the presidency in twenty
1: twenty four. Well, Mike, let me follow up on that because you know i I have talked to a number of um, uh, Republican women in the, over the last let's just say year pick a number you know pick a time frame out of the year but who will, will tell you maybe not for the record but that they are pro choice and yeah and and these are these are women in the circles right that are that are working in government working in uh the within the party or as fundraisers or as whatever mm-hmm. and it it kind of boggles my mind hearing what you're saying because it would seem to be what you're saying really is that they don't have any pull they they cannot convince the rest of the party that that is that that position of being uh as adamantly pro life as they are to the exclusion of all common sense you know which is what a lot of people think
0: mm-hmm.
1: is hurting the party and that they they can't they're never going to gain traction on the other things that they want to address because they they will never going to be in enough power to do that mm-hmm. that but I'm 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 just surprised still that hearing this from so many women that they that there it still doesn't seem to resonate within the party itself. Well, let me, let me
2: let me advise this: quit listening to those women because they're lying to you. Okay, they're not that dumb. So they're either that dumb, where after 25 or 30 years they're going to keep banging their head against the wall, which they're not. These are not these are not dumb people. These are people, and you just said it: these are insiders who make money from the party. Or they've got lobbying contracts with associations that, are, that need the Republican Party or Republican votes or their consultants that work with this apparatus that makes them compromise their positions. But the truth of the matter is they're not really committed to those issues. They say they are. They say they're anti-Trump in private. And that's the real tip. That's the real tell. When you say, oh, when these Republicans will say stuff in private, they're lying. They're cowards. And those are the people that enabled the rise of Donald Trump. They're completely full of shit. Okay. Oh, I'm pro-choice. Let me just pull you by the side, and we're we're really trying to get the pro-choice movement in the Republican Party. Bullshit. I'm anti-Trump, and you know what? I I don't really like him, but you know, I'll, I like his policies. Bullshit. Oh well, you know, he might be racist, but I'm not really racist. You know what? Bullshit. It's all complete horseshit. It's all been. They've all been proven to be completely fraudulent on this. And look, for 30 years, I defended a lot of this behavior because the truth of the matter is I believed them. Like you, I, I took them at their word. But when when it's, when they actually have to make a decision and the decision is before them, most of these people have failed over and over and over and over again. There is no pro-choice movement within the Republican Party. There is not. There is no anti-Trump lane in the Republican Party, there is not. You, you I listened to Republican consultants you've had on this show saying that there is. They're full of shit. There isn't.
0: There's not. There isn't. Okay. Let's so, just quit fooling ourselves. So to, to put this in context for people who maybe don't know your history, <laughs> you're a lifelong Republican. Hmm. You were the spokesperson for the California Republican Party. You're not uh, just saying this randomly. But I, I,
2: I was the I was the political director of the California Republican Party, and I was you know the press secretary for the the minority leader in the Assembly here. And i you know, my my firm has gotten probably more elected officials, than I focused in California because I'm not an idiot on non-elected, non-partisan offices in California at the local level for the past 15 years. So I've I've elected hundreds, hundreds, many hundreds of Republicans in mayors and council member offices throughout California. So, so, yeah, no, if you don't, the I mean, point is
0: you're not someone who is just kind of coming at this, you know, you're not a Johnny come lately, you were no. who was as deeply engaged in the party as pretty much anyone at one point. Well, yeah, life. let
2: me let me take it a step further. Yeah, the, the short answer to that is yes, I am a conservative. I oppose Donald Trump and I oppose the current Republican Party because I'm a conservative, not despite it. I haven't changed any of my positions. This party is not a conservative party. You're starting to see some of the old Republican you know, people that you know, have always talked about this being a conservative party now basically acknowledging it's not. It's a nationalist movement. And this may sound academic, but it's foundational to understanding why the GOP is as dysfunctional as it is. Donald Trump, let me put this in perspective. The, 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 uh, Donald Trump, this year, right in the past couple of weeks announced he's got two pol- he's got two positions one is to continue advancing this pro life extremism that he's got right as president the second is to raise tariffs globally at a higher rate he's running on the largest tax increase in modern history this is the republican nominee and the republicans can't get enough of them so don't tell me it's conservatism we're clearly dealing with something very different and it's a dynamic to bring it back home to your audience here in California and Sacramento. This is a dynamic we saw developing in the 90s That when I was the political director. This nationalist element that is afraid of and frightened of demographic change. It is central to understanding the Republican voters' mindset. They are fearful of the future. There is the perception that they are losing who they are, their Americanness, their identity, that the country is going to hell. And it shouldn't surprise anybody, shouldn't surprise anybody that these people are willing to foment insurrection and undermine institutions because they believe America is essentially already gone anyway. Look at how many of these folks in rural Northern California, rural Central Valley, rural, you know, uh, Inland Empire, deep in the Inland Empire talk about this stuff they talk about revolution they talk about militia movements they talk about how bad california is because they don't feel that they have a voice the truth of the matter is they don't they don't and they're not trying to accommodate to a new modern world what they're trying to do is regress to this imaginary kingdom of 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 what america was when it was great which means it was white and it was christian and it was male-dominated
1: let me ask you something though, because you just said that these po- these folks don't have a voice, but from what you've been saying before, it sounds like they actually do have a voice, and it's it is what the party is now. And maybe the problem is not so much that they don't have a voice, but it's that 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 voice has taken over the party in a very negative way. Am I interpreting that right? Yeah, but what I mean by voice is mean
2: being, being taken seriously. Nobody listens to Republicans and haven't in this state for a very long time, and they shouldn't until they're in, until they're serious about governing, and they're not. Most of these people in the state Senate and the state assembly, with some, a very few exceptions, but they're there, these are not serious people. They're not seriously trying to govern. They're not coming up with serious answers to policy problems, right? It's, and it's because the Republican mindset has become so countercultural. It's anti-science. It's anti-truth. It's anti-evidence. It's anti-academia. It's anti-media. It's anti-government. It's literally a countercultural movement. It's not unlike the left was back in the 60s or 70s. Like Anything big is bad, right? It's just bad. The whole system is bad. And so nobody takes them seriously because they shouldn't. So do they have a voice? Yeah, they have a voice at their own conventions and they're talking to each other, but it's the fastest shrinking demographic in the state. You have to remember, the California Republican Party by, by rent membership is about 80% white. Think about this for a second the california republican party the the voter base is 80% white in a state that is 35% white okay so you tell me what's driving this tax policy when when their when their main nominee for president is running on the largest tax increase in history you're trying to sell me that oh is law and order well while, while you know the the former state senate leader in the republican party was, was defending the insurrection and saying it was Antifa and and these these guys are anti-capital police suddenly? Or they believe the FBI is somehow part of some weird deep state conspiracy? Like, like the Republican Party is a party of law and order? Like, what is this about? It's a look, man, it's 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 basic facts. It's it's about the fear of demographic change. And most of these people, most of these voters feel that America's already been lost anyway. And there are these some mythical warriors defending the Alamo or whatever bat shit crazy they come up with, as opposed <laughs> to just adopting the reality that this isn't, you know, 1952.
0: Well, here's a question for you. So given what you've just said, how do you explain or what do you make of the fact that Larry Elder, a black man, was mm-hmm. the standard bearer in the governor's race well, in the recall race, uh, the last time around, uh, very handily supplanting uh, Kevin Faulconer, who was seen as as the front runner and seen as a very responsible, reliable thing. Uh, obviously, he's not a white guy. You know, what do you make of that? I mean, we have Tim Scott, who is not polling particularly well, but is getting a lot of favorable coverage in the presidential race. No, he's not. No,
2: no, stop it. He's not. First of all, he's not. And okay. second, and second why are, why do we pull out these one individual anecdotal pieces of evidence like larry elder okay, this is this is kind of what this right wing you know tactic is to do i was a latino in the republican party nobody knows this better than me okay i was there i was the brown face of the party okay i am a true conservative i believe in those ideals and i i believe that there has been an overemphasis on both sides frankly of the aisle on race i believe i believe conservatism when it says that I, in fact i i've never compromised on that But I also am a believer in evidence. So great. Larry Elder was the nominee. You know what? 90% of African-American voters in California voted for Gavin Newsom. So where's the evidence? You're you're pulling out one person, and yet 90% of the community is on the other side. Those are not equivalent. That's not a comparison. Statistically, evidentially, from a fact-based numeric position,
0: let's let's be honest about this. That's not what's happening. I guess my point is just why... Uh, why did the Republican party choose him as their standard? I guess that's because he's batshit nuts. Look that, that, and that's what they want. No, I mean, I'm not being,
2: I'm not being, I'm not being, you know, silly here. And I'll tell you when I am right. The, 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 they're not, they are looking, they are quantifiably looking for candidates that are not tethered in reality because, and there's a rational reason, an irrational reason for this irrational explanation. And that is, as I mentioned, when the Republican party became countercultural. And it stopped believing in truth. It needed warriors that would advocate for that, regardless. How else do you explain the rise of Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Vivek Ramaswamy, who's following with Donald Trump's, you know, uh, uh, standard technique of just simply lying? Is when you when you be, when you become countercultural to the point where you're untethered in reality, you start to look for people. That will pre that will confirm your bias of whatever your fake virtual reality is. That is what the Republican Party is doing right now, quantifiably. I mean, again, this is I've obviously had my critiques of the party, the party that you know I I grew up in and believed in and, and believed in and love, and, and and the tenets and the core of Reagan Bush conservatism is central to to still my world view. But but what I'm saying is not egregious. It's not it's not over the top. It, it it's entirely within the realm of fact-based discussion. How how anybody can say Marjorie Taylor Greene is a conservative is crazy. Larry Elder, I mean, there's a whole litany of things that the guy's done. They're looking for performative politics. They're not looking for policy solutions. They're looking for generals to fight in their culture war, a war which, by the way, most of them believe they've
1: already lost. Well, Mike, what what changes that? I mean, for me, that's always the thing. What changes it? You know, I think maybe there was some thought that Schwarzenegger would move the party a little bit more to the middle. I know he tried, at least in word, he tried. Uh, is there any chance that this situation that you are describing, at least here in California and maybe beyond, will, will be able to change at any point? In the near future. This
2: is a question I've been asked since uh, the drubbing we took in 1998 when I was the political director, and it was very clear in 1998 that the party needed to change directions, like lucidly, objectively, very clear, okay? Dan Lundgren, the nominee the party, was saying so. The National Party was saying so. Every political consultant worth their salt was saying so. The whole world was saying so. And the party hasn't adjusted in 25, 30 years since. So let me let me answer the question by saying this. We need to stop believing that the Republican Party is actually interested in winning elections. They're not. We need to stop assuming that the Republican Party is trying to be relevant in the political discourse that you and I and most people in Sacramento and in Washington, D.C. consider relevant. They're not. They're not interested in that. They're interested in tearing institutions down. And until people start to ask that question, we're going to keep banging our heads against the wall, trying to understand these people and be empathetic to them and try to understand where this really distorted, dystopian worldview comes from. I don't really care anymore about what is motivating these people. I've got a lot of theories, a lot of ideas, but what I'm absolutely convinced of of this, after 30 years of being asked that question, they're not going to change. They don't want to change. It's like the myth of the loser that says, you know, remember the Alamo. The guys at the Alamo got their asses kicked for defending slavery. You're losers. The Confederates lost. Build as many monuments as you want and say the South will rise again. You got your ass kicked. You lost. This mythologizing of losing, somehow re- you know, affirming. your your pre-existing political notions while they're slipping away from the majority of where the country is at is not virtuous. It's not helpful. And you have to understand they're not trying to be, they're not trying to be. Okay. And that's the fundamental difference between conservatism as it's been known and this populist nationalism. And so this is why the Republican party is doing so poorly amongst young people. Okay it's far worse than it was during the Vietnam war when when we when we passed the, the amendment to allow 18 year olds to vote. Okay Republicans were doing better in that environment than they are now by by a pretty good margin. So well, which,
1: an... which I would think supports the the trend that we've seen around the country of trying to limit restrict make more difficult the ability of young people to vote. I mean, we're seeing that. Of as course. Of that,
2: well, that's what it's all designed. To, it's all designed to like stop 18 to 24 year olds from voting. It's designed to use these illegitimate arguments uh about voter fraud with, with undocumented voters from showing up in mass to vote at the polls because they're trying to undermine confidence in elections. Ninety nine percent of what you're hearing coming out of the Republican Party is designed to decrease and diminish our confidence in institutions, attack and destroy government, attack and destroy uh, university systems and higher education, attack and destroy the media, attack and destroy confidence in our elections, because that's how you destroy a society. Nobody's offering solutions to improve anything other than saying, don't let young people vote. Let's, you know, you just heard Donald Trump today. I don't know when you're going to report, but Donald Trump today gave a speech saying, he wants to bring back the Alien Sedition Act, which basically would say it's what Franklin Delano Roosevelt used to 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 intern Japanese during World War II, and 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 use that tool to to um, use suspected uh, gang um, members and drug dealers. So he was talking about you know Latinos here uh, to to intern them and to imprison them if they're just suspected. Okay, so th- if we continue to believe and fool ourselves and delude ourselves into believing that what we're dealing with is just kind of this weird, crazy strain of a political party, then we are going to get consumed by what's happening. We need to start being rational and saying the Republican Party is a societal, it's a social problem. It's not even a political problem. It's a problem within our society, and it's not a faction. A, A wide segment of the American public has been radicalized and i think that while that's jarring and shocking to many people um it's quantifiably true i mean these this is the fact that that the fact that the leading nominee for the republican party would openly advocate that and and by the way the guy sliding into second is advocating bombing mexico right bombing these positions in mexican sovereign territory DeSantis's idea to stop the cartels is to go in and bomb mexico like this is like this is okay normal chatter. It it's just not. And and once we start accepting that it is, that this is normal behavior for a political party, well, we shouldn't be surprised when this devolves into violence and radicalism and extremism because we're already there.
1: Mike, uh, let let's stay on that for just a second because um, one of the norms, one of the things we've heard forever, is how the Latino population, which I know is not a monolith, but that's generally how it's presented that Latinos are a natural constituency for Republicans. And again, we're not talking about what you're describing as the modern party, but the traditional party. Mm-hmm. All that being said, and I said this in the intro, probably nobody knows more about Latino voting patterns than you. Mm-hmm. Where are Latinos now with all this? You know, you noted the, the percentages of, of, of white people in the Republican Party versus Latinos, et cetera, or uh, white people in California, I should say. Where 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 is the Latino vote right now? Where where are they on these positions, particularly since they so often seem to be the bearing the brunt of a lot of this demagoguery that that you're speaking of? Well, the
2: Latino vote nationally has begun to shift right, as I as I was predicting for for years. Um, the shift actually started in 2016. We don't talk about it a lot because we were so shocked that Donald Trump won and Hillary Clinton lost. But Hillary Clinton's numbers came down decidedly from Barack Obama's 2012 numbers, and that continued a very precipitous drop from Hillary Clinton's numbers to Joe Biden's numbers. So Joe Biden got 59% of the Hispanic vote. It's an all-time low, I think, for a Democrat, at least in modern times. Um, and, And this tepid relationship between Latinos and Democrats is starting to become more apparent. Let me give you another example. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about how well DeSantis did in the midterms despite Republicans doing very poorly. Gavin Newsom did not do that well in his reelection effort, okay? It was actually one of the closer gubernatorials, now he still won by a wide margin. I'm not going to say this was a nail biter. But if you're looking at the margins carefully, just um Gavin Newsom didn't do particularly well. And one of the reasons why he didn't do well is this rightward shift that we have seen with Latinos nationally is actually starting to happen in California, also. In fact, and here's the the the, the mind-blowing one: the Latino vote broke for Brian Dolly at the same rate for Republicans as it did pre-prop 187. So there's this era, this this 30 years. Next year we will sell we will recognize, I don't want to say celebrate, we'll recognize the 30th anniversary of Prop 187. Most Latino voters out there weren't alive during Prop 187. Okay. So there's no, and, and even a good portion of those that were were too young to vote and, and weren't paying attention to the politicization. So there's a lot of viewers my age who are 50 plus who, you know, were politicized at this time. And it brought us the Antonio Villaragosas and the Fabian Nunez's and the John Perez's and great stuff happened. And I'm not going to suggest that it wasn't. Those are good friends of mine, Alex Padilla. These are all good friends, but, but we also have to recognize that that same time led us to a period of extremely low voter turnout And now, 30 years later, the Latino vote breaking essentially the same way that it did prior to 187. What does that mean? It means that just not liking Republicans has never been enough to actually build a healthy civic body in the most rapidly diversifying state in the union. And that's why we have, I believe, so many of the public policy problems afflicting the Latino community, because there's been a complete void, a complete vacuum on the emergence of Latino leadership at this critical time, relying exclusively on saying, well, let's just toe the Democratic line because the Republicans are racists. If there's any place in America where there needs to be a check between the Latino community and what's happening to us politically and socially and economically against the excesses of the Democratic Party, my God, it's California, where our kids aren't learning, where we can't buy homes, where we're disproportionately affected by crime, where where the economic mobility for the first time in 150 years has slowed to a crawl or begun to reverse where even things like intergenerational wealth transferred by the equity in a home can't happen between parents and kids anymore because people can't get into a starter home anymore. These are Latino problems, which all, by the way, every single one of them I just mentioned, every last one of those is fixable. If the Latino legislators wanted to solve it next session, it would be done, done within two, three, four, five years. The, the, The reason why we don't is because they're beholden to their political orthodoxy as well. They're going to do what the party tells them to do. They're going to do what their donors tell them to do. Their interest groups tell them to do. They're not going to fight that on behalf of their community. And so the short answer is, what happens? The first thing that happens is dramatically low turnout, which we saw for 20 years. And then eventually that starts to happen. What starts to happen is a bleeding out to the right where people say, you know what? These people may not even like me, but my God, I've got mouths to feed tonight and rents to pay on Friday. And one party is protecting my industries. And one party is protecting the blue collar working class, at least from my perception. And I'm going to go there. And that's just math. That's not Mike Madrid saying that. That's the polling of Latinos for the past 30 years that is screaming it. This is not debatable. This has been, this is quantifiably the case. And and that's one of the great frustrations, you can probably tell in my voice, that I have as somebody in a state like this that purports to be so, quote, unquote, tolerant and so progressive, while it's also becoming the poorest state in the union with the largest income inequality gap and the worst, probably one of the worst states economically to live in if you're a Latino. Like, it's really, really hard to be a Californian if you're not white, college educated, and a homeowner. And for every one of those three things that you are not, life gets exponentially more difficult.
1: Mike, you know, we saw this in this last week, a couple of races, uh, uh, legislative races, excuse me, congressional races in uh, uh, Pennsylvania and New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. where Democrats won, where they were not expected to win. Mm -hmm. Um, You noted earlier that you felt like the party, the Republican Party is probably going to lose the House. Mm hmm. Very difficult time regaining the Senate. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, if, if Trump is the nominee, it's uh, believe me. correct me if I'm not perceiving you correctly here. They're going to have a very difficult time retaining or uh, reclaiming the White House. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's going to take? A really serious, prolonged ass kicking at the polls for something to change for Somebody to stand up on that side of the Rich, aisle, I, I,
2: I, I, Rich. I'm gonna say it again because I don't think you heard me. It's not gonna change. It's not. You have to. You have to break yourself out of the bubble of believing that there's this two party system that swings back and forth on this pendulum. There is no law that says that has to happen. There is no law that says. That there's no law that says a political bubble. party suddenly figures it out and wants to get back into power. If that were true, <laughs> explain California Republicans. Are they're, there they're not, are more, they are you know, more conservative and more right-wing and more nationalist than they were when I was the political director 25 years ago.
1: But but aren't there still a lot of the original uh, Kevin McCarthy? Look at Kevin McCarthy. At current... Kevin's leading them. I know, but this version of Kevin is leading them. There was a version of Kevin McCarthy. And he's gone. But Stop. aren't there some of those people no. still around? No. <laughs> Look, I yeah, you know, I,
2: I, look I i I got into this little Twitter discussion. There's a Republican consultant in town who he's pretty, I guess he's he's pretty prominent here in the state. and he's one of these guys who talks about being anti-trump, but it, it supports everything around it, right? These are this enabling class. and 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 Jeremy, when well, the the young guy from Politico asked the question, what's the what's the real anti-trump land? Like, how many voters are we talking about? He was trying to argue like half of Republican voters are looking for an alternative to Trump, and he's using all these public polls to to rationalize that. That is complete nonsense. That is is such an elementary basic misunderstanding of what's going on, especially the base of the party. That is not what's happening. The true anti-Trump lane is maybe, on a good day, 20 25%. Maybe. And that's probably in select states like New Hampshire and Utah, which were very unique in particular. Okay. Donald Trump will be the nominee and he will consolidate 90% of the Republican base. Why? Let's ask the question why? The answer is because of this concept of negative partisanship, which, by the way, explains California to a T. California politically, from a data perspective, it's not that interesting. It hasn't been for 25 years There's like a handful, maybe on a good year, a handful of state legislative seats that are genuinely competitive. And even if they all broke one way or the other, it's not going to change one iota of the balance of power in the state. So why is that? It's because voters are motivated by what they're against, not what they're for. We all know about partisanship. We all know about hyper partisanship. That doesn't explain what's happening. What does explain it perfectly is negative partisanship. Most Republicans and Democrats, especially Republicans now, can't tell you what the Republican Party stands for. Why? Because they stand for whatever Donald Trump says to stand for. And even that crazy mother whatever doesn't know what he stands for until he opens his mouth and decides this is what I stand for. So that you, it's not a party in the way that we have known it. A political party is an organization of people who share a common philosophy of government and can argue and debate and fight over policy platforms with that philosophy as a guiding light. That is not what the Republican Party is doing at all, at not even close to that. So we've got to stop pretending like there's these rational leaders, somewhere in the Republican Party that are going, you know what, we're going to have to tell the base No. And we're gonna finally get into a position where we're gonna support these guys and go, you know, be pro choice with, 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 you know, quit losing moderate Republican college educated women. No, no, that's not the case. That's not gonna happen. And that, again, the, the best example of that not happening and digging in on that intransigence is the California Republican Party, which not only refuses to adjust and evolve into a modern society, it's regressing. It's, get, it's regressing in California, and a lot of it is tied to this identity of white Christian nationality, which is the fastest shrinking demographic in the state.
1: Well, let's bring it full circle, Mike. What do you expect out of the convention when it starts at the end of next week?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's going to look a lot like the convention did in 2016 when he went and spoke. It's going to look like pretty much every rally that we've had since. Is This is Donald Trump's party. I think one of the most fascinating changes to the party was this, you know, kind of behind the scenes thing that they did by saying, "Oh, the winner of the uh, primary will—it's a winner-take-all state again." This this fight was a very big fight, and again, this is in the weeds, but you have an in the weeds audience. You know, 20 years ago, the the grassroots of the Republican Party fought the leadership in the party in order to have representation by congressional district, and what that means is that if a Ron DeSantis could win a district in Orange County and Donald Trump won one in Los Angeles County then they would get a proportional vote vote of the delegates based off of how they performed by congressional district the theory was the theory was that that would engage and excite grassroots activists in every congressional district because their vote and their participation and their work would actually be meaningful. It wouldn't get swallowed up in this massive state like California. So the conservative grassroots folks pushed for that. Well, they they were basically rolled over a couple of months ago when Trump's people said, nope, sorry, we're going to be do this winner take all because we know Trump's going to win and we don't want any proportional dele- uh, uh, representation by congressional district. We want all the delegates. And so what do they do? The Republican Party leadership fell in line. It fell in line with Donald Trump and gave him what he wanted, which the irony of all this is they just completely slapped the conservative grassroots activists in the face on a system that they created to prevent just that behavior. And they're too weak to stop. The animal that they created, the monster, the barbarians that broken through the gate. There's just nothing they can do. And so look, this is Donald Trump's party. Will sure, will there be some you know, golf claps for Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott and Vivek? Sure, there will be. Of course, there will be. Will there be reporters there trying to write a story about you know second place? Who's in who's getting eight or nine percent when Donald Trump is getting 47 or 48%? This isn't a race, man. It's like the NIT tournament. Who cares? who cares who's in second everyone's watching you know the nca men's basketball tournament no one's watching that other tournament this is there's no there's no other re- lane in the republican party it doesn't exist
1: are 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 we going to see states where donald trump is not allowed to be on the ballot i don't know but i think that's a huge mistake i think that's probably going to lead to you know civil war we we were probably headed
2: there anyway but i i i think it's a dumb it's a dumb tactic I mean, it's a it's a really bad tactic, even if it's even if it's legally accurate. And I'm I'm a big believer, by the way, in, in following the law and not politics. Uh, I haven't seen the legal argument for it that actually I, I I that I'm comfortable with. What I do know is if that were to happen, even in blue blue states, that um, uh, there would be violence, there would be civil unrest, and I think it's the height of irony that California is doing that. It's like Evan Lowe, who's a fine fellow, I guess. I mean, Evan's a great guy, but I mean, focus on shit that matters. Go go solve homelessness. Go go, go deal with the poverty problem. What, what, what are you doing? What are you what's what's with the performative elements that you you've got to engage in this kind of horse shit? Stop it.
1: Grow up. Well, Mike, as always, um, we really appreciate your your subtle and your positions. Nuance. that really don't, really don't take a stand anywhere. Uh, I am of course being facetious, Mike. We really <laughs> always appreciate having somebody come on and really, uh, share what you're thinking. And, uh, as we noted in the intro, very few people know this stuff better than you. So we'll all be watching really closely to see what happens, I guess, at the, at the convention and everything else going forward, if nothing else, um, it's going to be interesting, right? It's
2: never a dull moment, right? It'll, it'll, it'll be interesting for sure. Thanks That's for cool. having me guys. Great to be with you.
1: Absolutely. Well, you interested in sticking around while we, uh, talk about who might have had the worst week in California politics? Yeah, I'll stick around for that.
0: The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Well, I think it seems fairly obvious to me at the moment. I mean, we're we're recording this a little early in the week, so things could change. But, Mike, who do you think had the worst week in California politics?
2: Well, I, mean, I think Kevin McCarthy is a clear winner, at least on this Wednesday or whatever we're at. There, there are a couple more days left to kind of catch up with them but you know he's he's cashing checks that you know there's no funds to pay for now I think I, I tweeted out that he's he's got the first loan payment due for to the loan shark that you know he took money from and he didn't got the money and, and he's gonna have the government's going to shut down under his watch and I think there's a, a a good number of Republicans in that caucus that want it to happen mainly because it will mean he will lose the 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 speakership. And either way, the, the, the prognosis for keeping the speakership has gotten really thin. It's a very good chance Kevin McCarthy, the great irony is he's wanted to be speaker since I've known him. This has just been his lifelong dream. He may go down in history as the weakest speaker in the history of the country.
1: Well, and it seemed like that was the deal he agreed to to even uh, to get the position. He basically had to give up any leverage he had of being able to keep the position to get it in the first place. And now all, all of the that leverage that he lost is being leveraged against him, and it very well could cost him the thing that he wanted more than anything.
2: Yeah, I think it's a Greek tragedy of of willing to compromise and give up absolutely everything, your core being your soul for a handful of silver. This is why you know the Greeks wrote poems about this that have lasted for centuries, for millennia. It's it's a it's a, it's a tragic human story. It's when you give up everything to get a title to to get power and you realize that you really don't have any in the first place just to get it it's like i said i i think history is going to look back very unkindly look he may survive this week he may survive next week but even if he if he if he you know hobbles down the road for a little bit longer everyone in the country is looking at him going there's there's literally nothing behind this speakership there is no power behind this speakership he can't deliver his caucus and it's just a matter of time. At that point, you're like, you know, a dehydrated, you know, jackrabbit out on the plane with the vulture starting to circle. They're just looking at what parts they're going to pick off of you. It's not It's not going to be a pretty end. I mean, it's just not. So, you know, good luck.
1: Well, that is a visual that we can end on. A, uh, a weekend <laughs> Kevin McCarthy bunny out in the middle of some sagebrush being... Being uh, tailed by by some hawks and in
2: Bakersfield, they, yeah. no question.
1: No I was
0: going to say this is a true Bakersfield image.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think that's an excellent place to wind That I pers- oil derrick in the background. Mm-hmm. You've you've made a compelling point that that Kevin McCarthy is probably having the worst week in California politics and uh, is unlikely to be lapped by anybody, even uh, a, a rejuvenated bunny out there running held a breakfast from a from a hawk not going to happen, probably. <laughs> Mike Madrid, thank you, as always, once again, for coming on the show. Always a, a great, fascinating conversation to have. We really
0: appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.